People often ask me, what is your podcast about? And I would say, well, it's called Tech Seeking Human. So it's really about the implementation of tech and AI and the future of software and how that relates to society, humanity, and what it means for us as parents, workers, and the future of humanity. Sounds big and bold. But the real question actually isn't, what is your podcast about? The real question is, why do you do your podcast? And the answer to that is, because I want to learn. There is so much out there that we are yet to discover. And by having interesting conversations with people, I thought my journey could also be one that you can partake in. And I had such a moment in this most recent podcast where I had the opportunity to sit down physically in a room with Derek Laney, who's an evangelist for Slack. And Slack's been doing a lot of research into how to improve productivity and collaboration. I mean, that's natural, right? Because they sell a collaboration tool that allows you to work anywhere. But there were moments in this podcast that I really had an aha, where I really actually challenged my own thinking. Firstly, there's the perception that because of just my own world in which I live, I keep thinking everyone's in tech and everyone can work remotely and everyone can go into the office and we can all do that. And I've just, it, through my own lens, forgot that there are other people doing other roles that are required to go into the office. And also, what's the mental health burden that they suffer as a result of management decisions to come back into the office? And Derek shares some pretty alarming statistics on, uh, on what that means for people that physically have to go in if they don't feel like they, um, they want to, need to, or should. And the other one is just the improved collaboration and productivity that comes from being in the office. Actually challenging the way that we work. How do we brainstorm? Do we actually really, are we really successful at brainstorming with 10 people? I don't think so. But for some reason in our heads, we think we've got to come up with some creative idea. Let's get five or six people together and let's whiteboard it. I personally haven't had an experience where we've got the exact result by doing that. It tended to be one or two people or people going off and then coming back and presenting their ideas and then we brainstorm but very few opportunities or times in my past have we got six or seven people or even 30 people in a workshop and we've all brainstormed and we'll come up with something creative idea sure it's great for getting buy-in and trust and building confidence and all these sort of things overall there's an opportunity here to learn a little bit from what Derek is saying and potentially implement team level agreements for how we can be the most productive in our workplace. I hope you enjoy the episode. Welcome to the home studio here. You're only the second person ever to be in my home office doing a podcast. I lie, actually. You're the third. So, we've done like all these podcasts. We've got like 25 of them. Naturally, they've all been done over, you know, technology in distant, far-off places. But you're here in person. That's so surprising that the world doesn't want to travel to Sandringham during a global <laughs> pandemic. Like, that's I haven't liked Sandringham, <laughs> but I tend to not leave the suburbs. So, you sort of fell for it. If if So, I work with a friend of mine, Claire. She's yeah, often yeah. the producer. And yeah, so, yeah. if you were on the email exchange and I said, you should come to my studio in Sandringham. It'd be really good. She'd be like, oh my God. Can you not like, get out of the suburb for once, Dave, please. I'm like, I can't though. I've become accustomed to being... We, uh, where, where, where were you living in the lockdown? Uh, so, I was living in a caravan uh, traveling oh. around Australia. Oh. Uh, I, I renovated this 1972 Viscount caravan and uh, then we thought it'd be fun to go on a little trip. And we left the day before lockdown and then, well, it didn't make sense to go back. So we just kind of kept on kept going. going. Yeah. But I had my two kids kind of in bunk beds and it wasn't, it wasn't kitted up for the, for the pandemic, but we decided to keep going and had Where's a great time. Where's your five kilometer radius when you're in a caravan? There isn't one. Uh, so wherever the caravan is, it's pretty awesome, actually. Like it's the perfect solution. Um, yeah. A lot of, a lot of sympathy for those that, that uh, had, did it tough through the pandemic. But uh, So did you just travel around all yeah, around Australia? Yeah. Mostly we were living on beaches uh, in the Western Australian coast. <sighs> 
Western Australia. Yeah. That's where I'm from. Oh, wow, cool. Yeah, so there's some pretty good beaches over there. Uh, there's, there's a lot, and like kilometres and kilometres of them, and, and now the any... internet coverage is actually pretty good. Well, uh, pretty good 3G. And, you know, I actually had this, I had this one experience where I was in uh, somewhere out of... Uh, where was I? It was, it was somewhere not too far from Ningaloo, and I had yeah. to host a, a webinar. And I hosted a webinar in my caravan with my two children doing their homework on a bunk bed next to me. Brilliant. I had a thousand people on this webinar. Brilliant. Like, including video. Yeah. And it was flawless. flawless. Like, I had a virtual background. No one knew what was going on. Really? Why yeah. did you do virtual? You sort of just sat yeah. out and go, everyone, I'm doing this webinar now from, you know, the Ningaloo Reef. I, I may have dropped Australia. it at some point, but at some point it gets a little, like, it, there was, it was difficult because everyone was doing it tough. Yeah. And, you know, I was knocking off at three and going snorkeling and... Like hanging out with the kids. Oh, and but we could live vicariously through you. Like you yeah. could have done an updated travel blog and we'd all be stuck here yeah. in Melbourne. Here I have in survivor's guilt. I have survivor's guilt through the pandemic. I had such an oh. awesome time. But um, but yeah, then I ended up moving to the Sunshine Coast. because. Did you predict it was going to happen? No, no. And then you went Total to the accident. No, accident. Total accident. <laughs> so you really under You should have given yourself a little more credit there. You just said, <laughs> look, I read the reports. I, the US government weren't across it, but I was. <laughs> And so I just was like, it's time to go, kids. We're getting in the caravan. It's a caravan of courage and we're going across Australia. No, that was That's so it was, cool. It was quite transformative for our family life, though. We became very close over that time, uh, as everyone did during yeah. the pandemic. And kind of all of this stuff that was going on made you sort of reassess uh, what is this really why I'm here on the earth? Like, is this yeah. what I'm going to be here to do? And uh, so, yeah, we became very close as a family. And, and I think that we really benefited out of that. And that's that's my big takeaway out of the pandemic. That's a big thing to say, actually, what you just said, which is what am I really here on this earth for? And really reassess, because I do think the pandemic mm. really made us reassess this whole, like, I work 80 hours a week, I'm stressed out, I don't see my kids, I it, what am I doing this for? Mm. Yeah. I mean, no one grew up wanting to be on nine to five Zoom calls, like no. uh, and nine to five if you're lucky, right? Like, you didn't, that wasn't your vision of... Like when the I get amazing <laughs> quarter office in like some beautiful city, and then like we'll be at lunches, and yeah. we'll, like it'll be amazing, like Mad Men style. Yeah. Oh, like, absolutely, yeah, yeah. Like, like that's the business I, world dream. That's yeah. why I got into business for the for the clothes and for the for the uh, for the lunches. Uh, but uh, but yeah, being back to back on Zoom calls is uh, no one loves that. In fact, no. it's it's shit. Like it is yeah. it, life is shit. If you're, if you're back to back on, on whatever video conferencing platform, I don't want to disparage our friends at Zoom, but yeah. Um, and the reality is I think that's made everyone reassess how they organize work. And the funny thing is none of that stuff is new. It was just that when the pandemic came, we turned on our cameras, we started recording everything that we're doing and then God help us. We tried to watch it back on, on replay. Yeah. And then you're like watching these recordings of meetings going, holy crap, like, when did we, we get so broken? Like, yeah. when was work so bad? Yeah. And there's a, there's a study actually from 2017, which is, what, three years prior to the pandemic, and 71% of senior managers, and this is a HBR study, uh, said meetings are ineffective. And then 64% said they actually stop us getting work done. Yeah. And, and then you fast forward to the middle of the pandemic, Everyone's in back-to-back -back meetings for their whole life. Like, oh, hey, let's collaborate together. Uh, let's find a time. Well, I'll tell you what, my EA and your EA will work out a time maybe in four to five weeks where we can get a half-hour block where we might be able to have a chat. Yeah. And, like, for, if you're in a senior position in any company, that's your life. Yeah. And to be agile, to be nimble, to become an agile organization when you can't really have a chat within the next four weeks because your, your calendar's blocked off, mostly because you can't drag and drop the calendar Calendars little thingy. Are awful. You're like, Ticky, ticky. Calendars are just uh, awful. Why isn't there minutes. an AI that organizes calendars for you? Well, I mean, they do a pretty good job. Like Google Calendar and those sort of things do a pretty good job with AI stuff. But they're still, they can't understand. They can't understand this idea of ad hoc collaboration and the yeah. and the idea of co working. Where in a physical space, it kind of it sort of happened. Like you'd had these informal rules and nothing was written down. It was all. Uh, kind of implicit rules in the organization yeah. about how it worked. But we knew it because we'd been doing it for so long. But as soon as you put things in digital, suddenly implicit rules aren't very effective. Yeah. And you need to be much more explicit about what's okay, what's not okay. And things like co-working, which is the idea that we're working on something, you know, on our own, but together. And then periodically we'll need to check in and touch base and 
like ordinarily it would be talk over the cubicle yeah. and say, oh, hey, uh, hey, have you checked in the source control? Or, hey, I just got this weird bug from Git. You know, what's going on with that? And and that's kind of how how startups sort of thought the world needed to run and why yeah. Silicon Valley became such a big thing because everyone wanted to be co-located in these little huddles with pizza box teams kind of being yep. super productive. And uh, we had to really unlearn that. Uh, in that period. But uh, unfortunately, a lot of those bad, broken work habits we we brought forward and not surprisingly, work became pretty shit during the pandemic. And yeah. it wasn't just because we were stuck in our houses. It was because work just wasn't really fit for what we were trying to do. So yeah. um, it's been good to see things starting to change. And, and actually, actually, now we have to change. Otherwise, people are going to leave their jobs or leave the workforce. I was at a financial services conference yesterday and uh, one of our uh, leaders of one of the big four banks, he was saying, look, the most important for us right now is trying to find purpose for our employees to help them make a difference in the world because mm. no one wants to just like work for a company making money or pushing a... Yep. That's that's just not that important yep. uh, anymore. Yeah. yeah. It's funny you say that because there are big titanic shifts and I only just think through my own evolution and I wondered... I've been out of the day-to-day for a year or two years and I sort of just wondered, has it changed a lot? Because I, I sort of go back to my days. Originally, I worked at HP yeah. and they had when we first joined HP, which is a fabulous engineering, large tech company, like we'd probably have to explain to people who are younger who HP actually was, which was a big, successful company. They still buy company. printers. They still buy printers. Yeah, they're, they're not so successful anymore. <laughs> and you can kind of see why because HP Way originally was about they actually did collaboration groups and yeah. the manager would sit in the center of the circle and everyone would sit around the outside and so you could just talk over cubicles to talk. Yeah. Yeah. And then they went to almost 100% remote. Yeah, right. And then they went, this is a disaster. And to your point, yeah. the meetings, oh, we should catch up and talk about that. And then before you've actually got to the point, it's like, let's schedule another meeting and finish off what we were talking about. And you're yeah. like, are you kidding me? Like, why can't we just finish it now? Because <laughs> you get to like the 60 minutes and you're like, okay, we're done. And they go, but we spent 15 minutes, everyone just trying to get on the call. <laughs> and that was in the days of like, has joined the conference, has Intercom- joined, <laughs> has left the conference, <laughs> has left the, has joined the offer. Oh, fuck. Someone mute the lines, right? <laughs> so it takes you 20 minutes just to get into the That's, meeting. You know what? I just feel a little bit of joy that that, well, nostalgia and like, oh, that's Life beautiful and so funny. But then you're like, wow, that was really worse. Like that, that was, was a lot worse. worse. <laughs> that was a lot worse. It was way worse. <laughs> it was so hard. And you're like, not only, did you, not only like these days you go, I've never actually met the person that I've worked with. I go, I've never actually seen the people that I work with. I don't even know what they look like. Actually, I remember going to the Halo room, which is the first time we had a video conference and the room was set up for Disney. Yeah. So that when they were producing, I think Disney or Hollywood or whatever, Something, and there was a yeah, studio yeah. in New York and a yeah. studio in California yeah, yeah. and they wanted to be able to collaborate together so they created yeah. a replicated room yeah. in both cities with full video and you could sit and then they put these in all the offices I'd, and so for the first time I came hilarious. in and I sat and I went oh my god that's what you look like <laughs> Is, really that's hilarious yeah so um I anyway. love the fact that every time uh corporations try and make uh, virtual reality work they try and recreate the shittest environment possible for collaboration which is like a boardroom like they're like yeah. we'll have a virtual boardroom and everyone will be sitting at it and you're like that sounds like my nightmare we'll do like- one circle <laughs> all the way around with gray walls and we'll just make it like that. And it's like you that's, go like, you've got all the power of the Oculus and you're trying to recreate like the most boring environment to have a meeting in like they called it the Halo Room. And I think there was much It was Halo. good. It was good. Don't get me wrong. It, it was, was good. good at the time. It was good. So anyway, everyone went remote, right? And then they went, oh, crap. Company's not doing very well. Culture sucks. Everyone come back to the office. But the ship had sailed because everyone had been working yeah. there for five years. I like had moved an hour away from the city from the office because yeah. I don't need to go in anymore. Yeah, this yeah. company doesn't want me to go in. And then all of a sudden they went, no, you all got to come back in. You go, oh, hang on a second. Yeah. Well, I've moved now. I have a home office out the back of my house. I have a routine. I'm set up. Yeah. Sort of like where we're at. And they struggled to, to shift. Yeah. But there was now there's no real option. Or maybe there, well, there is, is an option. Is. You are. You're yeah. forcing people to go back in. Yeah. That's what's happening but, right but now. The power is with yeah. the employees a little bit. Yeah. Or is it? So, so that's no, no, my, no, that was hard. my long way of explaining to like, where are we now? Yeah. Hey, look, it's interesting. Um, I have some opinions on this, as everyone does, but opinions are not as interesting as like data and research because the biggest issue with all this stuff is it's very hard to empathize with people outside your own circumstances. Mm -hmm. And if you're in a position of leadership, it's even harder 
because whatever, like, I, I'm able to have the means to fund a caravan trip that can last forever around Australia and, like, I'll still figure out a way to make my wor- world work. That's a privilege. Uh, that's not the reality for, you know, the shift workers on the tunnels or whatever it is. There's, there's many different realities within any organisation and it's very difficult for us to as much as we love human-centered design and empathy and all these great things, you just can't imagine it. You, you won't be able to imagine all the different styles of work in your company if it's bigger than 150 people. If it's smaller than that, um, you might have some luck. Um, and you definitely can't imagine what's happening in other countries. Like, it's just hilarious listening to uh, US media kind of talking about the world, and you're like, <laughs> you haven't been outside the US yeah. in two years. <laughs> like, what do you know but about they have the world? The world <laughs> The World Series of everyone in Canada. Yeah, and like equally, I don't, I can't understand what it's like to be in Singapore right now, or, or in Indonesia, or India, or yeah. any of these different places. Like I've got to do research, and even then, sometimes it's difficult because people around the world respond to research in different ways. But yeah. having said that, uh, yesterday uh, our latest research came out from uh, an organization called Future Fund. So I work for an organization called Slack, which is a um, collaboration tool. You may. Be familiar with. Yep. Uh, we also fund a group called uh, Future Forum, and Future Forums was started at the beginning of the pandemic, and its goal is to sort of research into the future of work. So it has uh, a massive uh, research sample. It's, it researches ten thousand individuals, mostly across uh, kind of the main economies, like the main larger economies. So I'm not saying this is inclusive of. Uh, Brick countries, or uh, it would be inclusive in New Zealand, but not so much like Brazil, India, yeah. China. Things are a little different there. But but within um, you know Australia, uh, France, Germany, UK, these sorts of places, uh, India here, and and um, these sort of similar markets. This is kind of what we're finding. Um, what we what the research says as as late as yesterday uh, is that ninety four percent of employees want flexibility in the work. Like ninety four percent. That's almost a hundred, right? Yep. And the other six percent probably got it wrong. And yeah. They probably like press the wrong. They probably press the wrong button. Flexibility. Right. I want to be told. Yes, yeah, so that's to not do remarkable. And when? Well, that's not exactly. That's not remarkable. What's remarkable is that fifty seven percent of them said they have little to no ability to adjust their hours from a preset schedule. So fifty seven percent of people's reality right now is that they don't have that option, uh, which is which is unfortunate. Uh, the other thing is that. 80% of all knowledge workers want flexibility in where they work. So so first was when, right, which is actually far more important than yep. than where for most people. Yeah. Uh, but the second is is where. So 80% of knowledge workers want flexibility in where they work, yep. including a majority, 53%, of fully in-office workers. So we're, we're privileged now in that we've just had a quarter since return to the office in the large economies. Yep. So especially the U.S., uh, we've had about three months now of data where people have been pushed back into the office. So we have numbers now of what it's like for those who were able to remain fully remote, those who are working hybrid, so two, three days, whatever, and uh, and those who are fully in office. And there's some really interesting numbers kind of coming out about what their experiences are like. Um, the, there's good news and bad news. Um, I guess the, the good news is that for those of us who are able to maintain flexibility, which everyone almost universally wants. There is 10% of people, by the way, who like to go to the office to, to focus. Yep. Uh, not every day, but there, there is a small group that likes to go to the office for focus. It's not as considerable as many would, would say. 10%, that's pretty low. I would have thought it's not zero. It's not zero. It's one yeah. in ten. So, but there was 6% also. Like, stopped up the first question. <laughs> no, 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 10% is significant. That's still yeah. like if you've got a, a team of 10, one person is struggling to work yeah, okay. you know, if, they, if they're not in the office. I think yep. that's it's still worth thinking about, but it's, yep. but it's, not, as, it's not 60% or 70% or anything like that. Um, the bad news is that uh, for those that, that can't gain that flexibility, they're experiencing three to four times uh, worse work-related stress and anxiety. Uh, these are the highest levels since like the start of the pandemic. So since since returning to work, they're they're really struggling. Wow. Uh, they're also experiencing a uh, little over two times uh, worse work life balance uh, in that in that lack of flexibility. Uh, so I mean that's concerning. It that that impacts mental health. It impacts wellness. Uh, other different things. So I think that this is. It's an interesting place to think about and talk about because it's there's there's real things happening in the world. Mm. But I think for all of you or all of us in our organisations, these are the conversations we need to have with our teams and with our leadership teams. Uh, look at the data and say, you know, what are we going to learn from this and what's right for us? Yep. And it's it's not a case that 
<clears throat> the world needs to move to a four-day week. I don't, I don't believe that. Like, there's a great four-day week movement. Great, good luck to you. Yeah, excellent. That's not going to be, that's not going to be the perfect solution for every scenario. Does that mean Friday drinks moves to Thursday drinks? Just it actually does. By the way, have you have you been in the city on a Thursday <laughs> night? Like, it is rocking. Is it? <laughs> yes, Friday's dead. I was <laughs> joking, but okay. It is like so, I, I mean, this is my Sydney experience, but yeah. and uh, Salesforce, you know, has a fully fully flexible uh, so you're kind of really then doing three and a half days work it's kind of because you, you're not you off. Do- i mean you're collaborating when you're having drinks i actually think some of the best ideas come out when you're with your team having a beer and discussing you know everything else other than work and then all of a sudden you go hey what do you think about this yeah i i mean i'm not a coder i would I'm pull you up on, i would pull you up on that point of saying oh you're actually doing three even yeah. in the way that you framed that you're framing office with work yeah. That's just not the case. Office yeah. is not where you work now. Like it's where you go to socialize and catch up and whatever. You work at home. Like it's yeah. always been the case, especially if you're an executive. Your office was about nine to five meetings. And then the work you did, you did at night because yeah. that's the only focus time you had. Yeah. And, you know, if you had to do a presentation, it was basically after nine o'clock, after the kids are in bed, yeah. you sit down, do a presentation. There's no way you would have any work time. I do this uh, with groups that we get together. And it's fun. You can do it a lot. Do it along. Presume that we're all in a room together. Imagine. Yeah. And if you hold up two hands, do it for me here, Dave. Hop up two hands. Right. Think about your current week, whatever day it is of the week where you're listening. Yeah. Now think about, hold up the number of fingers, which is the number of free appointment slots in your diary for the rest of the week. Wow, you're killing it, man. Look, yeah, at, look well, how flexible really you are. <laughs> <laughs> but if I go back, if I pay my, if I go back, not, not a spare hour. Yeah, exactly. And that, for, like for those that are playing at home, like when we do this with groups, you'll get yeah. you'll get the outliers, maybe ten percent who are, you know, reserve their time and they're a little bit more diligent in how they book things or they just work in a different way. Yeah. Or they're in, you know, more flexible environments. Most people literally are frustrated by this question and they get mad and they look like an angry mob because they've got like two fists in the air, like shaking, like I have no time. time. Like when the hell am I actually going to get any work done? Like it's just not possible. And, and, you know, the next time I can do some work is either, well, it's late at night, it's my personal time or it's like weeks into the future. Yeah. Um, And that's, that's the reality for a lot of people. That's why work's broken. So to, to solve that, the only way we can solve it is is the same. If you think of your days in software development, right? Yeah. It's the old days of like, you remember you had the processor yeah. and there was a queue of things that could go into the processor in a single thread. And so you'd have to wait for your turn of like, if you were, ever did punch cards, you know, wait for your turn when your thing, your job's going to get processed. And then so you'd have batch processing, it would run over the night. And then suddenly they invented multi-threading and then scalable multi-threading. And then it's like, now you don't have to wait for when your work can be done. And then suddenly all these things are uplated. So the only way to solve that is multi-threading, which is you, you need to move from a way of asynchronous working to asynchronous working. It's the only way you can use the same amount of time to get more work done. And the only way that we can equally together, you and I yeah. may have different needs and flexibility. Yeah. It's the only way we can work together is if we work asynchronously because we, we're never going to agree across any organization of size on when the right time to work is. So how do you define it then? Is that down to an individual team? Because I hear a lot of people talk about, well, I want to be able to work from home and then I want to be able to go pick the kids up from school and then I want to bring them home and then I'm going to log back on again at nine and I'm going to work till 11 and then I'm going to get up again in the morning. Is that okay? Like, does it come down to like, let's just define that as a team and figure out what works for our team versus an entire organization that goes, mm. the development team, the lawyers and the marketers all have to do exactly the same hours. It's nine to five with a half an hour lunch break. That that world's gone, hopefully. Yeah. And let, let's unpack a few things that you said there because there's a few different issues. The first thing that you described the working parent model. Uh, And that if you're a working parent, that's pretty much your model, right? You want to do drop off, pick up, and like that's life changing. If you start picking your kids up, you like you have these conversations. Like as a father, like starting to be there for like the kids are like so much more alive. Like I used to think my kids were like dull because like it was 9 p.m. when I talked to them and they're like, they're ready for bed. But like pick them up at three o'clock and they're like, dad, let me tell you about this thing that happened. And then like by seven o'clock, they're like, you know, off doing something else and they're not interested in whatever it was before. So like school pickup and drop off, I think is life changing for parents and for families. I think it's super important. It's not surprising, like 83% of working mums in this study that uh, we released last 
last night. Um, they want location flexibility. Yep. Uh, but 50% of working fathers also uh, want the same level of, of flexibility. And that number is rising. Uh, just last quarter, that was 48%. Uh, so this, this is the people who want to work remotely more than three days a week. Uh, so 50% of working fathers, 60% of working mothers. So I think the working parent model is just a great case study for what we can do here. Like we had uh, uh, the CIO of uh, NAB Retail Bank. Uh, I'm sorry if I got that wrong, Anastasia. But Anastasia yesterday at this financial services conference was saying like this is game changing for the stuff that she's been working on in terms of women in tech leadership. Yep. Like because you know there's they don't want to give up you know, some of those things that they had before. And then the, and then the man, you know, Andrew from uh, Combank uh, yesterday was, was talking about it. And he's like, you know, like, I don't want to give up like fatherhood. I've mm. rediscovered it over the last couple of years and I want to be involved. I want to be equally there with my, with my partner. We want to share the load regardless of what job they have. And, um, and that means that we need that flexibility. That's way more important than anything you can come up with that whatever your company objective is. Yeah. I don't give a shit. I care the most about my kids. Like yeah. that's most parents. And that's that's the models. That's that's all good news as long as they're in industries that have that flexibility. That's the key to equality in some regards. Like I think it's a big key. It, I mean, to I will generalize, but I would say I know a lot of working mums, and they feel guilt about going back to work, and and these are just my subjective views of of the people who are within a circle. But yeah, they, reframe they, it as working dads as well, and yeah, you, you'll see the same thing. Yeah, absolutely, and. And so I guess the the key to all of it is in terms of equality is making sure you have that balance where it's like, mm. okay, well, I'll do school pickup on two or three days of the week and you do two or three days and then yeah. I'll do the drop off and then you do the drop off. And then if you balance that 50-50 then and the organization can see that as like, that's perfectly normal, that's working parents, that's what we come to expect, then yeah. mental health of the of the parents that are now coming to work, they yeah. want to go to work, they feel more productive, they feel happier, they've still got the balance yeah. of the kids and they have their work. And so it's like that's the perfect, yeah, maybe the perfect scenario. So, yeah, I think I think and, parenting... And also I'm going to premise it, two dads, two mums, like whatever well, it is. Whatever like, we don't have to generalise. Caregivers, right? Caregivers. Caregivers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I think that's, that's, that's good news and imagine the impact on, um, you know, those that they're giving care to. It could be a you know an elderly parent or whatever those sort of things. Yep. So I think that's that's a that's a big win, a bit on big unlock. So if you're closing down flexibility, you're basically saying no to that, and people are going to leave your company because that, that's going to be way more important than whatever. It, I don't care what business you're in, like that's going to be more important. Yeah, because we're in a world of people. talent shortage, right? You want to not, be not, not in all industries in all cases. No. Like, um, yeah, there there are places where. You know, there's still a lot of influence that employers have. I think we in technology are super privileged in that we are 100% yeah. in talent shortage. Yeah. I think if you're a hostie, like an airline hostess, hostess, what am I, like host 50 years ago, Yeah. A flight attendant, if you're a male or female flight attendant, yes. um, you know, right now there's a shortage, of course, because, you know, they're sort of reassessing whether they're in the workplace. If you're you know, working on the roads, you know, it's a different scenario depending on what's happening with yeah, the recession and infrastructure. So there's, there's different, it's, yeah. I think the key is you can't empathize with everyone's circumstance. Like it's going to be different. So to your point, what's the right solution? And let's just cover off the diversity inclusion thing. That The data says that over the last two years, underrepresented groups, that includes, um, you know, gender diversity, but more, more importantly, more importantly, more in a we've gone deeper into racial diversity uh, groups from underrepresented underrepresented groups over the last two years have actually increased their sense of belonging at work by working remotely. So get this, the less they go into the office, the closer they feel to the company that they're working for, which is like Trust. Su super counterintuitive. It's really weird, isn't it? Super counterintuitive. And then secondly, you're like, okay, but... Surely they're not as close to their colleagues because they're not building closer ties and yeah. you know that but in the same period those same people reported higher relationships with colleagues, better relationships wow. with colleagues in the same period, which is super weird. And uh, so the, the team at Future Forum, Brian Schiller and Helen, uh, were working with uh, Stanford University with, with uh, another Brian at um, as a professor at Stanford, and they're looking at why this data is coming out this way. Mm. And they said, well, if you think about <clears throat> all the microaggressions that happen during a daily uh, work, think about a day in the life, yeah. right? If you're if you're a, if you don't look like the rest of the people 
in your office, like your day is just like intellectual effort trying to adjust your behavior and your world to suit those around you. Like you walk in, it's like, hey, welcome, Vakesh Vakaramalul. How do I say your last name again? And oh, okay, then you go, where, where are you off to for lunch? Oh, wow, that's really interesting. You know, what kind of food is that? Like, how yeah. do you make that? That looks really tasty. Like, it's like you're constantly called out as being not fitting with the with the mold and you're constantly trying to work to what do I have to do to 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 adjust my behavior you take off that intellectual load of having to adjust your behavior to be close to the norm and you unlock you know 20 30 percent productivity with they no longer have to do that anymore because you don't have the small talk mm. get rid of the small talk it's not actually what builds culture most people just want to work they're, they're there to work. they're there to do a job and in a, in a lot of case all of that Sometimes that that small talk and the, all that weird stuff that happens around meetings and that sort of things is actually intellectual tax. So they are, they're unlocked in terms of productivity and the way they want to collaborate and build relationships is about, about the work. So they're, they're focused on the work. You get on virtual calls, you're just talking about work. And yeah, you have you talk about each other's lives and stuff, but not in, a, not in the, the same you way. You can't do one-to-one because it tends to be four. Yeah, yeah. So it's it's much more freeing uh, and much more much less group pressure. And then you can drop off a call, then you're with your community, you're with people like you, you can be yourself, you can relax. So uh, that's a huge unlock for underrepresented groups. And it means that we're more able to bring different perspectives in without alienating quickly and killing off those things. Like yep. organizations and organisms as a whole will just, they'll ruin the things that are different to them because the, un, un, unintentionally, it's all, it's all, um, none of this is anyone being a bad person. It's just like, it's just uh, biases that are, that are in our brain. So Great news is that's heaps better once flexibility comes in and, and a lot of those problems are improving, uh, but it'll regress if, if we start to let those things go. So diversity and inclusion is a big thing. The other thing that you were touching on earlier was like, hey, well, what's what level is the right level to do this at? Is it, do we all go to this four-week, four-day week model? And I would, I would say equally, if you're uh, rushing to develop a COVID vaccine and you need to run uh, face-to-face testing mm. and it actually matters how many days that you're on the street in this week because you're running a face-to-face trial. Well, that's not going to be that helpful for you, is it? Because you probably for the for the sprint that you're in, you might want to work every day every day that you're alive because yeah. like you're racing against time to to um, produce a COVID vaccine or something. Yeah. So that for you that may not work. And to have everyone suddenly take time off when you're trying to produce a COVID vaccine to to you know, solve some massive crisis, that might be a big problem. So in that case, flexibility might need to be reversed for that scenario. Uh, so how do you do it? And what we're, what we're learning is that the companies that are being successful with this are taking a principles-led approach, not a policy-driven approach. So we're all going to be work four days a week. I'd say that's a policy-driven approach. We're creating a policy. We're trying to normalize across a huge group and figure out some commonality and apply that rule to everyone. Uh, it's very hard to do that in a way that's correct in all circumstances. You can always come up with edge cases where that's not going to work. And you can't empathize as you started to do, like, what about the lawyers? And what about the, yeah. you know, what are they going through? And it's very hard to, like, no matter how good you are at human-centered design, like, you can't empathize with every possible worker. Yeah. So instead, the people that are uh, having successful having success is trying to distill why they're trying to get flexibility. What is the goals of the organization? Create some principles, train people on the principles and not the rules necessarily, and then roll out a framework that allows teams uh, to create agreements. Now, this is not a free for all. If you do this without any rules, it quickly, it's not so much that people will abuse the rights that you're giving them. It's not really that. It's more the fact that there won't be when there's not agreement, there's just un- misunderstandings and it becomes hard to do things like have any sort of accountability. Like if, if, we didn't, if we didn't write the rule down, how can I tell whether you're adhering or not adhering to the, to the rule if it's, if it's not written down? A, a great one to run with your own teams is to get together as a team and say, <clears throat> imagine there's a virtual whiteboard and go, right, let's write up on the whiteboard the top five things, the top five rules that are in our organization that aren't written down. Like write them up there. It's like it's quite quite a hard mental exercise. What it takes a little rules? while. Like what would people write? Uh, you should get in before your boss does. Oh yeah, right. Or that's obvious. Make sure you, you leave that. after your boss leaves. Like that's it was never written. No one ever said that. It was never written down. But yeah. it's true. Or if if uh, the CEO 
is coming in today, everyone should come in because it's important yeah, enough right. for him to co- or her to come in that we should all be there. Yeah. And people may have even said that verbally at some point. But I mean, that, okay, is that my point is not that it's that's wrong. For some CEOs, so you'd prefer not to go in. <laughs> <laughs> well, my point is it's not that it's wrong. My point is that unless it's, unless it's explicit, you can't figure out whether it's correct or not or useful or not, whether it's yeah. something you should keep or throw away. Yeah. So you, 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 write down, you write it down, you talk about it, and then you decide what are the things you want to keep. And what are the things that maybe aren't serving you anymore that you That's want to let cool. go? And it's it's a really cool exercise. It's very very valuable. Uh, it can get it's like somewhat confrontational, right? Yeah. Like it's 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 a it's a high trust exercise. So it's it's you need psychological safety to have these types of yeah. conversations in a team and culturally be very different too, right? Yeah, but I but I think. It, these are the types of things, if you can get your organization to adopt some of these practices, this is what builds good culture. You know, it's not having a foosball table and a chef who makes dinners. Yeah. Like it's, a, it's a, the way that you approach, you know, working together. Yeah. And, and that framework now is called team level agreements. It's, um, it's pretty universally adopted. And uh, we recently published a book called How the Future Works. Uh, if you go to futureforum.com, you can download templates on how to create team, team level agreements. Uh, they're actually pretty straightforward. It's just basically about kind of like that, getting it together as a group, yeah. figuring out what the current rules of the team are, you know, writing them down, and then sort of working together about what you'd like the rules to be going forwards and what we're all going to agree on. It includes things like core working hours. Like, yes, we're working flexibly, but, you know, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, in if we're in Australia here in Sydney, we might say, you know, Australian Eastern Standard Time uh, from 10 to 2, we're all going to make those core working hours and any... Um, core meetings that the team has together are going to be within those hours. So they're the times that we're presuming that we're going to be available cool. for synchronous work. Yeah. Outside of that, on those days, you know, it's kind of up to you to, you know, come up with what what works for you, and and you can work mostly asynchronously. So that does mean that you need to experiment and adopt asynchronous tasks because there is no longer. Uh, it, initially, if you keep working the same way you did before, where you had the thirty minute blocks of synchronous work, you've got less blocks now. So it's hard sometimes for people to imagine they're being able to do more work in that time because there's less blocks. But instead of that, you know, you unlock, you unlock multi-threading, you unlock asynchronicity and uh, productivity goes up. It goes up about 30% on, on average according wow. to the studies uh, because you're, you're just think about it, right? It's this, it, from a computer science point of view, it's single threading versus multi-threading. Yeah. And it's huge, a huge unlock in, in terms of productivity. Microservice world that we live in. Break, yeah. it, break, break it down. And it's not just monolith. tech, right? Like um, there's a, a very famous case study from 2013 in the US patent office where they moved to a flexible model in government. And they found they were able to process 4.4% uh, more patent reviews. This is a highly intellectually, intellectually mm. taxing task to review a scientific patent. And by implementing flexibility, they're able to improve the number of patents reviewed by 4.4% which is over the number of patents in the world. It's a, it's, a, it's a big number. And then not only did they that, did that, employee experience went up, employee engagement went up, and they yeah. became one of the best places to work in the US government. Wow. And that was in 2013, like yeah. way like years before the pandemic, kind of like what you said about what HP was, was yeah. trying to do at the time. And um, so the evidence is there that like this is not about decreasing productivity. Yeah, this is so cool. It's like, yeah, treat people like humans, make them feel productive, make them give them, you said earlier about a purpose. I really believe that that's really important. People don't mm. just necessarily go for the money. They go for like, I want to make a difference in this world. And the the other part that I think like a key takeaway for people, you talked about those core hours. You also talked about the Future Forum. Futureforum.com. Future Forum, Future Forum yeah, is where people can go to discover more information. Do people do this? I've worked in organizations where there is a team that feels a purpose and they feel like they want to make a difference. And for, for all intents and purposes, I'm going to choose the lawyers and the accountants that I used to sit near. Hello to any of them who are listening. Um, and they wanted to be like us. Right. Where we would define our own hours and we'd be more flexible and we'd say, no, HR, you can stay at arm's length because we're marketing and we need to be creative and collaborative and we want to do this and we want to come in and we want a desk like this. Mm. How do you operate in an organization with multi-teams with all different types of things? Is this something that you've got to go back to a HR department or to some leaders and they have to try and figure it out? Can it organically happen? Have you seen evidence of like... Because mm. you are sort of... You're not going rogue, 
but but I've seen like R and D and software teams become like very high productive teams because they get very focused on like how do we get mm. productive, mm. and they study it and. Yeah, there's a few issues in what you said there. The first, the first is you said there's who always own, issues in what I say. Uh, who, yeah, yeah, I love it. I love it. It's great. The first is like who owns it? Okay, it's CEO and directs. Like the, the executive yeah. of the company. This is the most important thing for every company on the earth right now. Is like how are they going to function in the future, and how are they going to respond to this existential crisis that they've they've just been through. So like HR is an enabler. I love HR. I'm like speaking at HR conference next next week. They're super pumped about it, yep. um, but they can't do it alone. It's not their yep. job to change the organization. It's their job to administer um, what the organization you know creates as its as its practices. Yep. Uh, so that those have to be from the executive team. Uh, that's that doesn't mean the executive team makes the rules. It's that the executive team sponsors this work, and then transparency works with the organisation to come up with the principles and to come up with the framework with HR who can help build these frameworks like team level agreements. Yeah. And then their job is to make sure that the framework is implemented. So it's no good coming up with a framework and not checking that every team has implemented the framework, because if you haven't gone and done your team level agreement, you don't you don't have any rights right now. Like you haven't you haven't defined how you're going to work. It's not okay to just have whatever you feel like whenever you want that's not that's not cool because what will happen is exactly what you described which is the very powerful individuals such as high talented tech talent like look at the tesla example Mm. right it's like everyone's gonna go back to the office except if you're a really talented tech person then you can pretty much do whatever you like and go smoke drugs in the in the desert and that'll be fine but for everyone else you got to go back right so that's a huge power imbalance creates a huge amount of um, resentment and you quickly create divides in the culture where it's like there's the winners and the losers. And yep. it's like those guys. Look at, look at every company that ever created an X, like company X. Like they created a company, then they set up another company with less rules as their innovation hub. Mm-hmm. Look at every one of those that exist. I'm not going to name any of them. Mm. They're all amazing places to work. But everyone who doesn't work in that you know, innovation hub or the X version of the company resents them and starts to try and throw rocks and like (laughs) tries to destroy them because they're like this sucks how come they don't have to abide by the rules how come they can get away with all this stuff you're special you're not you're not special go back to the trenches yeah get back to the cubicle (laughs) and log on exactly (laughs) and like this can be quite nefarious as well when it starts to be uh, we've got one group of rules for us, but our outsourced organization in India, no, they've got to work 24 hours a day and 12-hour shifts. and uh, But that's okay because they're not employees. Like they're mm. That's a contracted. So And then so then you call into the call center and as soon as you flip from the people that are privileged in you know white society, they're happy. And you flip into the outsourced call center and you're like, wow, what happens what? whenever I get transferred to this call center like why is this not so good people are like a lot less happy like yeah. i don't understand why this is going on yeah. so i i think it's yeah it's not only your employees it's your partners and it's like everyone who's yeah. touching your organization you gotta you gotta think through this and to, to not create inequity and and also it's it's the best thing for you they're gonna be more productive if you can implement this yeah in, in this different ways um I've forgotten where I was going with this point, but but you make the partners are such a key. Like I worked in marketing for a long time. You often have marketing agencies, and at one point in my career, <laughs> yeah. they would treat the marketing agencies really poorly, and then they'd wonder why the marketing agency was didn't like working with them, didn't give them all the good ideas, and try to rip them off. And I'm like, <laughs> I don't know what I don't know what part you're not recognizing. If we all just got along, yeah. this would be really easy. Just treat the team like they're an extension of your team, because essentially they are. Yeah, yeah they're paying them, but we're all getting paid. Yeah. So like, where does what does it matter where the money's like, coming from? We all got to work together. We're sitting around a desk. Let's come up with some ideas and have some fun yeah, and let's makes execute. Sense. Makes sense. It's like uh, you get to any CMO. Hey, does it? What do you think about having a four day work week? Oh, that sounds fantastic. All right, cool. Would you employ this agency that has a four day work week? And hell no, like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no way. Like that's not okay. Yeah, that's not okay. This agency's no good. Let's burn them out and get another one. Yeah, yeah, it's a little bit. Nah. Late. It's very sad. So, uh, and and the, those companies aren't doing well. Like the ones no. who are doing well have have built you know, close relationships. They're, they're fostering and building the businesses that they partner with, creating an ecosystem model. You know, this is something that Slack and Salesforce, um, you know, pioneered this thinking of in- ecosystem thinking, yep. which is that you want to grow your ecosystem, everyone that touches you, and that's going to lead to increases in revenue and product uh, and profitability for you in the future because the, the value of your company is the value of your ecosystem. Um, but yeah, so it's, it's those things. Um, the other thing that I think you talked about marketing, I think that there's the other one that comes back a lot is, uh, okay, that's all great, but you know, where 
we're smart people. We're like creative people. Like we're not, you know, coders checking stuff into source control. So we got to be together because you know, creativity comes from collaboration, face to face whiteboarding. Yeah. And I think um, the research says that that's not actually correct. In fact, yeah. that the opposite is true. Uh, I was reading this thing uh, yesterday. It's actually back from 2015, just about brainstorming as a simple example. And um, the, the commonly held belief is that the way to brainstorm is to get everyone in a room, we'll all write on whiteboards and we'll come up with the best ideas and then we'll go and write them up and implement them. And actually that works really terribly. And yeah. and the research shows that if you take individuals, don't let them talk to each other and then have them create an ideate, come up with their ideas individually, then come back together and discuss them. It's a far better way to create uh, ideas, which is why you end up having to go to agencies because you create these echo chambers where no one can have an original idea because everything's shut down as it's come up with. And the only ones who can have the original ideas are those that are outsiders like agencies. And we have to go get a new agency because we burn the first one. We tell them that all their ideas suck and then they don't want to give us any more ideas and we have to go hire a new one that's not, not burnt already. Uh, so these so collaboration workshops are more about getting buy-in. They're not actually about the idea because I've worked for agencies before and almost felt a little bit like we'd do the workshops just so that the client would feel they're quite part of the process mm-hmm. and they're, they're involved, which makes sense. But we also knew the answer before we started and you'd yeah. go away. And then on the other side, I go, I, I as you were talking about whiteboarding, like I'm sure people listening now can probably picture themselves if, if they are in an industry like this where they have also been in a scenario where you whiteboarded and you went... I just, it's not working. Well, there's too many people and I'm conscious of what they're thinking and I'm trying to get someone else to buy yeah. in and I can't finish my thought. I can't go deep enough in my own head yeah. to actually get the results. And I can count on one hand the really, really good ideas that I had, the really good ones with 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 another, it was always with just one other person mm. and it wasn't always in person mm. and mm. it wasn't ever more than two people. It was someone that I trusted really well. Was it a we series of conversations over a period of time? To develop a brand, we actually, if I have the funniest story of developing a brand and what was actually just the brand over, um, it might have actually been over Slack. Yeah. And we were just pinging each other back and forth. And I go, no, no, it's got to be more serious than that. He'd go away design, send it back. What about that? Yeah, pretty good. What about this? Go away, yeah. go away. And we just kept going like this. Yeah. And then I went, that's it. Yeah, that's it. And we worked with an agency for weeks. It's we funny that you say this, Dave, because everyone, everyone actually works that way. Yeah, but they think that they're like they think that it's a cheat or that it's like a it's like the non-normal way to work. And they're like, "How weird! We just came up with this crazy idea and we did it like this way." You're like, "Yeah, that's how everyone does it." Yeah. Like, but for some reason, we think that the right we still default to like if we try and plan it, we end up in a meeting and it, yeah. and it, and it doesn't so necessarily doesn't work. work. Yeah. yeah, even writing like I wrote a vision for from my old company, and it was a whiteboard, and it took me two hours, but it was just me and one other person, mm. and we were just bouncing, going, "Yeah, but is that really why?" And mm. then we had the Your ability to go to go mm. deep, and we had no meeting agendas that were going to block us and talk us. To, you know, we didn't mm. have extra mm. people mm. in the group throwing some random flare in the opposite direction where you're going, what are you doing? You're not on the same wavelength. Yeah, no. Yeah. And so we were able to, and I'm sure actually if I probably sat there on my own was forced to do it, I could probably do yeah. it too. But to your point, let other people also develop their own and then yeah. come back. Yeah. And it's a different, you're challenging the norm. And I think it's, it's really important for people to understand how they work mm. individually, mm. how they can be productive and then also what you were saying as a team is have the team also define these rules yeah. and yeah. how they are all going to be successful because you can't have like one person in the group going, I love collaborating with 10 people and the nine other people in the group go, I like working autonomously. <laughs> and that person goes, everyone come in then because one of us wants to work together and the others don't. Yeah, that's going to be great. We're going to really be productive. This is awesome. <laughs> But yeah, it's really. Let's talk about the hard stuff. Let's talk about the, yeah. the the. It's the soft things. It's the the things that you can't quite put your finger on. But it's like, mm. how am I? And you you. How am I productive? And and really analyze it. And sometimes you've got to go through circumstances to realize it. It's Ooh. true. The other thing, Dave, is you don't have to have the answer. Well, no. The, the way to think about this, and this comes from the agile guys, and and. and the studies on learning organizations, the only thing you need to come up with is not the answer. You need to come up with an experiment you can run to learn. And, yep. if, you, and if you have that as your goal, always, 
you're going to get closer and closer to the correct answer, which may you may never get to the 100% correct answer, but you're going to continually grow and get closer to your goal if you keep running experiments and you keep mm. l- using the results. So don't ever talk to the team about, let's figure out how we work. Instead, the right question is, what's one or two experiments we could run that might get us close to these goals? And let's do that over the next whatever period. Cool. If you're super fast, over the next week. If yep. you're a normal organization over the next month. Yep. And then at the end of that, look at what worked, what didn't work. Keep the stuff that was good. Throw out the stuff that wasn't. And then go, right, knowing what we know now, what experiments can we run over the next period? It's just This is just an agile sprint methodology, yep. but you don't have to use the agile words because that can freak people out sometimes. You just go, look, let's just run an experiment over the next period. And when we get to the end, let's look at the results, see what worked, keep it. Let's run another experiment. And you're just going to, keep doing that forever and like continually get better That's as an organization. That's a really cool way to think about it. Yeah. And that way it takes the pressure off because you're yeah. not trying to come up with an answer. Small changes, implement small changes, talk yeah. about it. Did what it can work? we test? What can yeah. we test? What's what can really we test? Cool. And, uh, but yeah, try and take out some of the tech words as soon as you're working with no non-tech people because yep. they'll freak out when you start going, Oh, we're going to do a scrum and we're going to have sprints and we'll, yeah. we'll create <gasps> cohort. And they're like, I have to sprint. Oh. They're like, well, this is scary. <laughs> Sprint now. They're like, hey, let's, let's just do this this way for the next couple of weeks and we'll see what happens. What's a pizza box, team? I don't back. like pizza. <laughs> exactly. So I think that's a good that's a good tip. Um, run experiments, uh, create those team level agreements, and they're working documents. They change based on your experiments. As as you learn things, change the doc or flip things yeah, out. Hey, cool. next month, let's do it differently. Yeah. If you if you don't feel confident of doing something for a long period, run like an async week where, yeah. hey, for this week, we're going to cancel every recurring meeting in the diary. Like you have to delete them in the week. They can't be in the diary, right? And we're going to just work without any planned meetings for this one week. Uh, we're still going to work, work together. We're going to use all these other tools. We're going to try two or three things. And just for that week, we're going to work differently. It may not, we may not get to huge productivity, but we'll learn some things in that week. Then the week after, we'll get back together and we'll figure out what do we want to keep from that week that we just had and what do we want to bring back because we can't live without it. And that, that way you do that over a period of time and you sort of gradually get better. Derek, very insightful. Lots of things to think about, lots of experiments to improve our productivity. They don't have to be big changes. They can be lots of small things, lots of notes to include in here. And we'll put some links in there to the reports and where people can go to follow mm. up. And thank you for making the journey. I think your caravan might be out the front ready to take you out here. <laughs> So I didn't tell I you, you got your caravan to take you all the way back to Queensland. Yeah, so, uh, yeah exactly. We've it down. Excellent. I'm just ready for the 16-hour drive. Ready yeah. to go now. Love it. Hey, it's been great having you on the podcast. Lots to think about. And I look forward to catching up with you again soon. Thanks, Dave. Super awesome. fun.